everybody. This is Stephanie Ruper. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Naked Humanity podcast, where we take a deep dive into what it means to be human in the modern world. Today is episode number 54X, and I am responding to a listener question about intersectionality. Okay, I am so excited to dig into this. And also, I believe the release of this episode is coinciding with an episode that came out last week with Hannah McGregor about feminism and the like. And so hopefully this will be really coherent with that and the kinds of things that everybody is thinking about these days. And of course, the idea of intersectionality is very important. The language of it is very uh, emotionally provocative for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons on the right and the left and in between. Uh, and so I would like to do a little bit of explaining and then unpacking and then reflecting on it. I do want to say at the outset that there is a lot of nuance here and I attempt to uh, explain a lot and provide some reflections. And so uh, don't, please don't leap uh, to some conclusions, uh, which is a very, uh, very, very easy to do. And I'll, I'll demonstrate uh, what I mean by that uh, in my next X episode, uh, which will, I think, uh, be really cool. And that one, I'm going to talk about uh, how easy it is to see people as different from you. Uh, anyway, so I want to jump right into the question that has brought us here today. It's from somebody who calls themselves Soy Boy. Uh, Soy Boy writes in and says, Stephanie, I have recently discovered your channel and love your content. I would say that we are polar opposites, but at least you seem open to debate. I have left many comments on some of your videos. I am an old school socialist who is shocked by the rise of neo-Marxism and its intersectional dogma. I use the word dogma because it has become a secular religion. I am vegan and I am opposed to the intersectional feminist takeover of the animal rights movement in my local area. Can you discuss intersectionality in a podcast? Please try not to use the word, quote, problematic. Trigger warning, that was a joke. Uh, so this is uh, very interesting to me, and I think points to something that we all need to pay attention to, which is that uh, intersectionality as an idea and feminism as an idea or any kind of progressive idea as an idea is often represented in many different ways. And some of these ways I think are very nuanced and important to pay attention to. Uh, and some of them are less nuanced. And they're unfortunately the ones that we encounter more often than not in media and in media that is uh, opposed to these ideas. You know, quick aside, <laughs> as somebody who works in academia and also has worked as like a quote unquote internet personality or an influencer in the health and fitness space. I just want to say that all of the pundits that you listen to have to have an audience in order to have a career, myself included. And that often involves defining yourself in ways that are simple and easy to grasp. And also, of course, um, arousing emotions and passion in your audience, which means being angry. And it's easy to pick up anger from pundits. And I mean this on all sides of the spectrum. And it's something that is really important to pay attention to. And as a matter of fact, I have a very uh, discerning radar for this sort of thing and do everything I can to try to consume from sources uh, that are taking uh, some degree of objective distance. Sorry about that. So, um, and I'm saying this because 
we do, we see so much uh, pushback against ideas about intersectionality and the push for intersectionality that can be very emotionally charged. And that sort of rhetoric, that sort of discourse, those sorts of feelings when we encounter ideas immediately incite feelings in us. And so again, what I'm trying to do is, is take a step back and, and talk about some larger pictures um, and, and so as some, for some examples of the kind of really emotionally charged language you can find on these ideas, um, I have I pulled some quotes from people who identify with the right. One is a, a man named Andrew Sullivan. Um, he says that intersectionality, and I quote, uh, posits a classic orthodoxy through which all of human experience is explained and through which all speech must, must be filtered. Its version of original sin is the power of some identity groups over others. To overcome the sin, you need first to confess, i.e., quote, check your privilege and sub- subsequently live your life and order your thoughts in a way that keeps the sin at bay. Um, and then um, a famous YouTuber and now other platform, or Ben Shapiro uh, describes it similarly. He says, intersectionality is a form of identity politics in which the value of your opinion depends on how many victim groups you belong to. At the bottom of the totem pole is the person everybody loves to hate, the straight white male. So we can understand, I think, that when you first encounter the idea of identity politics, why uh, you might have a defensive reaction if you don't belong to a group that is asking for attention or to which attention is being asked to uh, go. Uh, and this kind of language we encounter very easily on the right, right? And uh, can be very easy for us to then also get really angry, like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, let's not be in this like victim blaming whatever. I will, however, say that there are uh, some grains of truth to what they're saying here based on what you encounter in social media, based on cancel culture, based on uh, many things that I've encountered in my own personal progressive circles of um, people being somewhat uh, actually having this kind of uh, victim elevating culture or competing to see who has the worst uh, situation, that sort of thing. Like that's real and that's human and, and we need to sort of make space for that and understand that that can happen on the left and these kinds of reactions to it can happen on the right, but still neither of those things, neither of these problematic (laughs) reactions um, is really gets to the heart of, of intersectionality itself and why we should be paying attention to it. So um, I think when we talk about intersectionality, we need to refer back to its original context. So the word intersectionality, not necessarily a concept which was coming along in various fields and various um, aspects of Western culture uh, for many decades, but the word of intersectionality, which sort of crystallized it all, um, was coined in 1989 by a woman named uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, a black woman, uh, a lawyer, uh, in talking about the law. Now, this is hugely important to understand. There are categories in the law that have historically and are currently used to marginalize certain groups right? Slavery was once legal. That is a radical marginalization of a certain group. And segregation, legal, right? Uh, Legally enforced. And 
uh, women didn't have the right to vote until uh, 100 years ago this year. And so there are categories in law based on race, ethnicity, age, sex, gender that do impact the ways in which people's lives are able to unfold. And this is injustice at its finest, right? So um, I want to I wanna give some examples. So here was a legal case um, that was important. Uh, we did actually talk about uh, another legal case in the podcast with Hannah McGregor, number 53. So uh, go check that out if you're interested in this. Um, I'll talk about a different legal case. In a case called uh, DeGraff and Reed versus General Motors, um, there were five black women who sued General Motors for a seniority pot, um, policy that was discriminatory against them. So what happened was uh, the company did not hire black women before 1964, right? The civil rights movement, uh, black women as a category were not hired until 1964. So there were seniority-based layoffs in the 1970s with the oil crisis and all of that. And when this happened, the earliest hired employees were laid off and the, all the, the older white men got to stay and the black women who hadn't been there for a long time were all uh, let go. And so that kind of policy, right, based on changes in law that have happened throughout our country's history, uh, actively makes it harder uh, for black people to recover from the, like, really, uh, really hard circumstances out of which this entire culture and group of people uh, have been trying to uh, build lives for the last 170 years or what have you, and obviously before that. So that's one instance in which the legal category of Black woman is incredibly important. Now, there are other ways that are related to law but we also need to think about their impact and how we think about each other uh, in broader culture. Uh, There was a wonderful article in Pathios uh, a few months ago that was very revelatory for me, and I'll I'll share the link in the show notes. And it was about how uh, white feminists misunderstand the need of black feminists. Um, So uh, a couple of examples for there. Um, One thing we have to understand is that uh, black women have different rights about or different interests about work, generally speaking, and childcare, right? So white women are often fighting for the right to work because they have been put in the home with the father figure, raising the kids at home. White women fight for the right to work. That's important. Black women have uh, often fought for the right to raise their children, right? Um, in in part because there have been forced sterilizations of black women throughout American history uh, initiated by slavery and to this day continues to be a problem in prisons, you know, forced sterilizations. Um, black women have also been forced to work as single mothers because of the high incarceration, incarceration rates of black men, which are in part, in large part, uh, these rates are so high because we... Uh, police officers, everybody have a subconscious bias um, against black people and often use these policies as way to, ways, you know, subconscious or not, um, to penalize black communities. So 
Um, that's really important. Another thing that's really important, for example, just the way that we see white women and black women uh, is different based on race. Women are off, black women are often objectified in sexualized in a different sense in um, sometimes a more violent sense or maybe a more animalistic sense because of this history of language around animality and blackness, right? And that's something very worth paying attention to. So it is a real thing based off of legal categories and based off of our interactions within this political legal system, right? That these categories do matter. They do impact your life. Now, as to what we should be doing about them, the answer is not uh, abundantly obvious, right? Uh, there are many different approaches, even on the, you know, in progressive circles in terms of uh, what needs to be done legally, what needs to be done socially, socioculturally in order to rectify these problems. You know, obviously um, the legal discrimination needs to be done away with, but um, how and what sort of policies need to be enacted, that's a, that's a topic up for debate. But I think it is um, unquestionable that we need to understand the ways in which these kinds of legal and perceivable categories have impacted our cultures. And yes, white men have tended to be immune to these kinds of uh, cultures or to these kinds of discriminatory practices because they have been the ones writing the laws for hundreds, uh, thousands of years. Now, of course, that doesn't mean uh, that doesn't mean white men are evil. That doesn't mean that they're bad. That doesn't mean that they necessarily need power taken away from them. And this is often a, a misperception on the right that people are trying to take power away from white men. That's not necessarily the case, but power needs to be uh, shared and others need to be elevated, right? And so this is a very important, you know, misperception that needs to be addressed. Uh, so intersectionality began as a legal category uh, 30 years ago now. And it, it took 30 years to become really, you know, a really popular sociocultural idea, but now it is, it's everywhere. Uh, and we need to pay attention to it. I do have some uh, critical reflections uh, on the whole concept and how it's enacted. Um, first and foremost, the law really, really matters. You know, it's important that we change these laws. It's important that we think about uh, policy and culture and how we want to address uh, these problems that are holding people back. And we also need to think about how these categories have permeated our subconsciousnesses, have permeated our lives, have permeated our language and are influencing us subconsciously. You know, something I think that people often misunderstand about things like racism and sexism is that, you know, when I so much of the racism and sexism that exists in the world is not intentional, right? It's, it's subconscious and we can't necessarily be blamed for that. And nobody should be blaming you for that. You know, um, it's, I don't think that's a helpful way, a productive way to overcome these things, but we all need to work on understanding and deconstructing these subconscious biases that, that we have and that are alive in our culture. Um, I think it's also important to understand for people on the right that, and people on the left, that often in progressive circles at the heart of intersectionality is a desire to uh, see beyond strict black and white lines, right? We see, you often look at intersectionality and see categories and how they intersect, right? Black, white, uh, Latino, color of some sort, uh, gender of some sort, sex of some sort, all these different things. We see these as categories intersecting and they seem to be uh, reducing us or putting people into these boxes into which they don't necessarily 
you know, don't necessarily fit or through which we generalize. Um, but rather than there being like 20 categories, we need to understand that there are actually infinite, you know, near infinite experiences. And these categories are rough guidelines, right? We need to think about them as term in terms of rough guidelines and also to not make assumptions about uh, people necessarily uh, based on their belonging to a particular group. Uh, I think it's very important, another point, I don't know what point I'm on now, three, four, five. Uh, another point is that it's really important not to uh, reduce people to uh, categories to which they belong. Uh, I spoke with a man on this podcast episode number 28, I believe it was called uh, Individualism Versus Identity Politics, Amod Lele, and he talked about um, many different things, origins of individuality in Western culture, and also uh, how he felt that identity politics, that being identified with the color of his skin, uh, really made him feel like less of a person. And there's a way in which identity politics and intersectionality can be enacted so as to, to take, you know, to strip you of your will and your self-identification uh, and reduces you to these categories. You know, I, I know plenty of people who feel bound by them. Now, of course, some people really love being able to identify with a group and they say, yes, that really resonates with my experience. Um, but it's also very important to understand that Identity politics, if seen in this very, you know, black, white, uh, absolutist way, can be really confining in terms of how people seek to be individuals, uh, which is uh, really, really important. Which brings me to another point, <laughs> uh, which is that we all need to be very, very careful that we do not render our identities, our religions. Uh, the person who wrote into this question, Soy Boy, um, talked about how identity politics and intersectionality has become a kind of sec secular religion. I don't think he's wrong. Uh, I think that we all need orienting narratives in our lives. And for the vast majority of human history, our orienting narratives came from religion. And now a lot of religious narratives have declined and we are looking for other options and shopping and consumerism is one that is widely available to us. And that's why people, you know, are so obsessed with finding the clothing that like fits them right and expresses themselves appropriately. And um, it is easy for identity politics and identifying yourself with a group to sort of fill these functions of giving you a personal narrative and helping you feel a part of this like unfolding of the political discourse. And it can be really inimical. People do take it to really extreme lengths. Now, uh, the right, you know, conservatives are uh, correct, I think, in their diagnosis of how this, this can function intersectionality and identity politics can function as a religion, but they have all their own victimhood stuff as well. You know, so nobody is immune to this, but we need to be very, very cognizant of this because we want to use ideas like intersectionality to take care of one another, but we do not want to use them to alienate people who don't understand or are outside the discourse, right? You don't want to use them to, uh, paint people into boxes and rigidly identify with X group or Y group or what have you. Um, sure. Yeah. We all like enjoy or suffer at the hands of being identified with various groups, but we must not draw these boundaries too, too firmly uh, or else we will uh, really end up, I think in, in a war of 
competing for resources for for what have you. Uh, so those are all uh, very important things. I also want to elevate one more concern, which is actually something, it's an idea that I encountered in Jordan Peterson, who's not particularly popular in circles that I run in, but I also uh, personally don't hate him. And I, I don't think he's as horrible as a lot of people paint him to be. Uh, but uh, one idea that I did encounter in his works, regardless of my or anybody's opinions about him, that I think is worth paying attention to, is that we must understand that differences in ability and opportunities um, exist and will continue to exist forever across our culture. Right? There are, we have these legal categories that we must pay attention to, right? And we have ways in which uh, race and ethnicity and sex and gender and age um, do influence the ways, you know, the opportunities that are available to people. But what Peterson says is, look, we also need to understand that uh, based on your attractiveness, you know, here are a bunch of questions that impact your life, but you have no control over, right? Like how good was your mother's nutrition while you're in the womb, right? What are your genes like? How stable was your home growing up? Like all of these factors are out of your control and they radically, radically impact the ways in which the opportunities that are available to you and the ways in which you can walk in the world, right? How much money do you have growing up, right? Privilege is so multifaceted, you know, it's everywhere. And getting rid of it in that sense is possibly impossible. And we have this sort of drive, this movement to eradicate, you know, these political uh, differences or lack of access to resources. And again, the law like radically, of course, needs to change. And we need to be supporting people with proactive policies. Uh, but we have to be very careful uh, that mindful of how all of these different facets play a role and decide what we want to do about them, right? And we need to understand that all of these different categories, these intersections, these black, white, male, female, what have you, um, are not the only factors at play that determine how somebody's life goes. And that's, that's very, uh, very important. And I'm not saying we should do nothing about any of them. You know, I think we should be doing a lot of things about many of them. Uh, but we need to be mindful that uh, intersectionality and identity politics um, does does have its limitations, right? And that's why uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, when she uh, in, invented the term, grounded it in very real po political realities, right? Intangible realities that we can address. Uh, and I think that's an excellent starting point. And then, of course, we do need to always be working on the ways in which we think about these categories uh, and mindful about everything else as well. So um, that was a lot of a lot of stuff about intersectionality. I'd be interested to hear what you think. I have gotten some feedback from uh, people who listen to the podcast that they find it valuable uh, when I attempt to <laughs> attempt to describe phenomena in our world that can be very politically charged from a more historical or sociological or objective standpoint, right? I'm here to tell you what I think, uh, what intersectionality is, uh, things about the way that it is changed between 
uh, certain discourses, right, when we're talking about it in academic papers or law or in the 1980s versus how it's being talked about now, right? I think we just, what we really need is to understand a lot of context and to look beneath what I showed at the beginning of this podcast were like these highly emotionally charged um, ideas. Now, of course, anger can be very, you know, can service very well, but uh, I think having more comprehensive understandings of where people are coming from can help us better adjudicate, you know, what exactly it is that, uh, that we want to do moving forward. So I, I need to get going. This has been longer than intended. Uh, we have a winner, of course, for the drawing of this podcast. Her name is Linda. I have emailed her. She's getting a lovely book. Uh, if you want to submit a question to this podcast, please do. You can send me a DM on Instagram at Stephanie Rupert, or you can go to stephanierupert.com slash form and submit a question anonymously there. If you have any questions, of course, do always get at me. I am so happy to interact with the audience. And I am, of course, always, always grateful for reviews. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being on this intellectually exciting journey with me. Uh, I am Stephanie Ruper and this is Naked Humanity. Uh, it was episode number 54X. Thanks again and take care. I will talk to you next week. 